You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi everybody and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, Pity Swords, those little bits of history that don't quite fit in anywhere else, with me your host, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. Speaking of books, so I, I have too many probably, can you have too many? No. So I have a lot of books and I order lots of books, mainly for research, sometimes for fun. And so sometimes if I'm at work or if I'm away somewhere working, I will get my mum to open my mail for me. I'll be like, I'll pick up my mail, open it, it's fine. And I forgot that I had ordered a certain book and I'm on the phone to my mum like, ah, yeah, open it, open it, no worries, it's fine. Because normally we'll chat, she'll open it and then she'll be like, last laughs and epitaphs, really? What weird history is this? Don't you think you've got enough books on poison? Uh, This time, uh, there's a dead silence. Like, it's a very heavy silence. It's apparent it's there. To the point that I thought, has my phone cut out? Did I accidentally mute her? Did she accidentally mute herself? But no. Uh, she's like, oh, really? This is the kind of book you want to read? And I'm thinking, fuck me. What book is this? What? And I, and I couldn't remember what I'd ordered. I was like, because there's a few. And they're mainly about weird things in history and, you know, stuff like that. Probably one or two deaths. I was like, oh, is it one with a weird, like, creepy death title? And it it was not. Well, it was. But it was actually Jeanette McCurdy's I'm Glad My Mum Died. Which my mother did not take too kindly to me purchasing. When I explained, you know... Like, some of the stuff in the book. I'm like, flick through the book, mum. Pick a page, right? Pick a page, read it, and you'll get it. And then she was like, oh. Okay. That's fine. But for a split second, my mother was not happy with me. But yeah. Uh, so, this week's episode. <laughs> pity episode, I should say. Is about the demon of the belfry. And I'm just going to quit my jibber-jabber and fact you. That's right, 
fact you I will. If that's okay, uh, consent is key. So, William Henry Theodore Durant, he was born in Toronto, Canada in 1871 to William Durant and Isabella Hutchinson Durant. I mean, I hope it's Durant and not like Durant and I'm just terribly mispronouncing it, which I could be. It happens. He is the brother of Beulah Maud Durant, who is more so known as Maud Allen. That's her stage name and the name she kind of goes by for the rest of her life. So they had moved to San Francisco in California in the US when he was, he was still a kid actually. It was only in 1878. His dad had moved down there first and then he had set himself up and he was working there. And then the rest of the family followed, which was fairly normal for the time, fairly typical. So Theo, he grows up in San Francisco. He gets a really good education, which is paid for by this wealthy dude, who it is believed is Isabella's real father, because Isabella was adopted. So his mum was adopted, but they think her father came from money. So both him and his sister are very well taken care of because their dad's a shoemaker. He's a cobbler. Or is he a shoemaker? Wait. Does he make shoes or does he fix shoes? Are they different? Anyway, not the point. Somebody could tweet me. Tweet me and let me know. So he gets this fucking fantastic education. So good, in fact, that he studies medicine. He's a medical student. He wants to become a doctor of some kind. I mean, it is the 1800s, so it's not as impressive as you think it should be. You know who else was a doctor? Dr. Cream. Fucking... Gerbil man cosplaying as a human. That motherfucker was a doctor. So this young man has everything going for him. Like, he is the straight white man where things are just going well. He's 23 years old. He's studying at Cooper Medical College in San Francisco. And he's also assisting at this Sunday school for the... Emmanuel Baptist Church on 21st Street. So the younger members of the congregation, you know, like teenagers and like 20-year-olds, stuff like that, they create this little society, this little church society, for like social purposes, so like events and things. And Theo here, Theo Durant, he gets elected as the club secretary. And he's also a member of the California Signal Corps. So he seems to be a pretty good guy. He helps out at the church. He's the assistant superintendent at the Sunday school. So he teaches Sunday school classes. He helps out in the church. And as we know, straight-laced God-fearing folk who help out in their communities and project an image of, you know, goodness, tend to be the worst fuckers of all. But I digress. So he was helping out at the Sunday school. Everything is going well. He is a respected pillar of the community. And then something awful happens. Let's talk about Blanche Lamont. Blanche Lamont was a 20-year-old teacher from Montana. She had moved to San Francisco after teaching in this, like, one-room school in Hecla. So Blanche had relocated from Montana to San Francisco 
and she was staying with her aunt and uncle, the nobles. Her sister, Maud, was also staying there. Now, Blanche had moved partially because she had health issues and the warmer weather was supposed to be better for her, the climate was better for her overall health. And Montana's winters, um, they're not, they're not the most fun, one could argue. I mean, you'd freeze the balls off a brass monkey, it's, it's cold, it's fucking cold. So, partially weather and partially so she could further her education. Definitely wasn't about furthering her social life because a social butterfly, she was not. She didn't really go places. And if she did go somewhere, like, for fun, she was usually with other relatives. Like, she wouldn't independently go to a fun fair or whatever people did for fun in the 1890s. So, on the morning of... April 3rd, 1895, the notably kind and lovely Miss Blanche Lamont leaves home in the morning. See, the course she was taking was being held at the boys' high school. You know, I think it was the only place that was doing it. So she did that, and on the way, she's with Theo Durant. Like, they're on the... uh, trolley together. So while Blanche goes to the school, Theo heads to Cooper Medical College. So later on in the day, between like two and three, she goes to a different school for cooking instruction because it's the 1890s and cooking classes were part of the typical schooling for women. I say that as if home ec doesn't currently exist, like It does, but this was very much a necessary, recommended thing at the time. Which is stupid. Men, learn to cook. Jesus Christ, I don't know, a lasagna, something easy. Not too complicated, it's just stacking. So, so at some point before her class finishes, Theodore Durant shows up outside the school and is waiting for her to leave. And when she does come out, she's with her friend Minnie Edwards. So he comes over and he starts chatting to Blanche and Minnie just carries on and she goes away and goes inside her, the streetcar she's going to go down. But she manages to clock Theo and Blanche taking seats on the dummy. And so do two other classmates. So she's still got her school books with her and she gets on, she sits down next to him and off they go. And as they journey on, it is noted that the young couple are acting very familiar with one another. They're leaning in close, they're whispering, he's tapping her back. It seems like they are maybe a thing. So there's this proper curtain twitcher, keeping her ear to the ground, watching what's going on while peering through the lacy neck curtains, which are basically just massive, massive doilies. Like somebody spent a good lock of time, like crocheting that. But she's waiting for her daughter to come home. So she's peeking out through the doily. And she sees Theo, who she clearly fucking recognises because she goes to that church. I mean, it's the closest church. She can see it from her window. That's her church. She sees him open the side gate and let the young lady in. And that was the last time anyone saw Blanche Lamont alive.
Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. So later that day, around about five o'clock, George King, the church organist, He's in, practising, he's trying to get the keys all ready for his service. He, he doesn't want to let the congregation down. He wants to do well. So off he goes, and who comes down from the belfry other than Theo Durant? He doesn't have his jacket, he doesn't have his hat, and he's kind of pale and weird looking. So Theo explains to him that he was up near the roof, trying to find a leak in the gas pipe, and he had been overcome with gas. Which I am assuming to mean that he inhaled gas, not that he passed gas. I mean, the two are not mutually exclusive. Both could have happened at the same time. But that's unlikely. So he's kind of weak and pale and all that stuff. So George, being like, shit, this isn't good, he runs off to the pharmacy and gets a bottle of Bromo Seltzer and comes back and gives Theo it to drink. So after he consumes his delicious bottle of Bromo Seltzer and he seems to be fine or at least no longer shitty, the organist asks Theodore to help him move the small organ down from the auditorium into the main hall. And Theodore's like, sure, I'll help. So off they go. And when they get upstairs, the organist noticed there's no gas smell. Like, there's no odour anywhere. And if there's no smell anywhere, why the fuck was this fella on the roof looking for a gas leak? And then he starts thinking, wait a minute, did we not get these gas fixtures fixed, like, fairly recently by a plumber? So that's a bit weird, but he keeps it to himself at the time. So they get everything moved down, it's fine, and then Theodore asks him to walk him home. Even though the two fellas live in completely opposite directions, he's claiming that he doesn't feel well and he still feels weak because of the gas, and if he could just walk him home because it'd make him feel better. And being the kind person he is, he does. Later that night, there's like a prayer service going on, and Mrs. Noble, Blanche's aunt, attends. And she goes looking there anyway because she expects Blanche to be there because she usually is. Theodore is sitting basically behind Mrs. Noble and he asks her if Blanche is there tonight. And when she tells him that no, she isn't there, he's like, oh, that's a shame because I have a book for her. So three days later, Mrs. Noble reports Blanche's disappearance to the police 
and the press. And later that evening, Theodore Durant shows up at her house with a book that he supposedly wanted to give to Blanche. And when he's there, he tells her auntie that he heard from another student that Blanche was neither dead nor missing, but in fact had joined a house of ill repute. She'd become a sex worker, basically. He'd gone there to hand this book in that he said was for Blanche, but then also said that Blanche had run away to become a sex worker. That math ain't mathin', my friend. After this incredibly weird interaction, the police then interview Theodore Durant, and he tells them that he believes that Blanche Lamont has been kidnapped by white slavery groups and has been sold into prostitution. And they're like, yeah, that seems rational. Fair enough. Over the next couple of days, Theodore Durant does a couple of weird things. First, he's seen by the church janitor hanging out by the Oakland Ferry landing. And when he asks him what he's doing there, he tells him that he's following clues about Blanche's disappearance. He also goes to a pawn shop and tries to pawn this ring. And the the owner's like, nah, mate, nah. And then a package arrives at Mrs. Noble's house and it's three rings that belonged to Blanche that she was wearing the day she disappeared. And the package had the name George King on it, the organist who had walked Durant home that night. Nine days after Blanche's disappearance, it's Good Friday. So that would be the penultimate day of penance, really, during Easter. Um, during Lent, I should say, and it's two days before Easter Sunday. So on Good Friday, you're supposed to abstain from meat. It's supposed to be like a very, a very stern day, somber day. The Young Society of the Emmanuel Baptist Church are having a wee meeting. Theodore Durant is the secretary of this wee society, and Minnie Flora Williams is supposed to be attending. The meeting was supposed to be held at the house of a church elder, a dentist named Vogel. Minnie had told her former employers, the Morgans, that she was thinking about attending this event, this meeting. See, she had been working for the Morgans and she'd been living in, but she was moving to like a new job at another side of the city. So her trunk had already been moved. And she said to them, well, I won't be back this evening because I'm thinking about going to this. This meeting for the younger church members it is supposed to start around about 7.30, half seven. And around about 7pm, Minnie and Theodore are seen having a heated discussion outside the church. Heated enough that many people take note. Someone thought it was maybe like a lover's tiff or something like that. But they were definitely... She was unhappy. And this very public argument was the very last time that Minnie Williams was seen alive. Now, Theodore, he is the secretary for this group. And so he's supposed to be at this meeting pretty sharpish, but he doesn't show up until 9.30 that night, two hours late. And when he does show up, he is disheveled. Like, they use the term excited appearance, but we all know what that means. He was a mess. 
Now this Baptist church youth group event must have been really fucking exciting because it lasted another two hours. It had started at 7.30, so that's a four hour thing. 11.25 it finishes and near enough everybody goes home. They all go in their respective directions. Apart from Theodore Durant, who heads to the church alone. The very next day is the Saturday before Easter and a bunch of ladies have come in, they're going to decorate the church for Easter Sunday, they're going to make it fancy, they're going to fancy it up. And as they're cleaning and sprucing the place up, one of the women opens this cupboard door and as she opens it, she is met with a horrific sight. I'm going to give you a wee trigger warning slash content warning for gore and essay. Okay. Inside this cupboard in the church's library was the mutilated body of Miss Minnie Flora Williams. She was half naked, her clothes had been torn, she had multiple stab wounds, her wrist had been slashed, her breast had been stabbed repeatedly, there was a knife still lodged in her chest. Her clothing had been ripped to the point that her underwear had been ripped off and was stuffed in her mouth and down her throat with such incredible force that they struggled to remove it. Once the women get over the shock of seeing this fucking horrible scene, they alert the police who fucking hightail it down there. They come in, they look, they see the body and they call in the big guns who head straight into San Francisco. So they start asking round, you know, doing some very basic the bare minimum of detective work, and somebody goes, oh well, last place I saw her was chatting to Theodore Durant. So they go searching for him, the first place they go, obviously, to his home, so they go in, he's not fucking there, because he had already fucked off to the signal corpse, like he'd already gone. And so they decided to search his home, and in his coat pocket, they find Minnie Williams' coin purse. So at this point, the police split into two teams. Two fellows go to trail and hunt Durant and get him arrested, which they do. And he's like, this is an outrageous accusation. I protest, so on and so forth. But they arrest him anyway. While the other team searches and investigates the church. And as they get up to the belfry, it's fucking boarded up. So they have to just break their way in. And as they smash through the belfry door, what do they find? None other than the naked corpse of Blanche Lamont. Her lifeless body was positioned the same way that medical students would position a corpse before dissecting it. With her arms crossed over her chest and a block of wood beneath her head. And surprise, surprise, the officers concluded that only someone with medical knowledge would have done this. After doing a wee bit more police work, they find her school books and her clothes, which were neatly folded, by the way, were carefully and neatly tucked into the rafters of the belfry. Okay, so I'm going to describe their deaths now. Uh, they're pretty gruesome. Trigger warning, content warning, essay. If you don't want to hear this, skip forward about 50 seconds. Okay, Theodore and Blanche enter the church, which just so happened to be empty, where he then strangled her to death. Once she was dead, he dragged her corpse 
up to the belfry, where he removed her clothes and then committed necrophilia with her corpse. He then tidied the place up, boarded the belfry door, and then went downstairs where he met the organist. Nearly two weeks after this event, Theodore lured Minnie Williams to the church, and once inside, he raped her, then killed her, and then mutilated her body. Unlike Blanche's body, which was neatly rearranged, he just shoved her body in a closet and didn't make any attempt to clean up the bloodstains. He just left, his whole plan being get the hell out of Dodge. He thought he could just walk away from it. So after he's arrested, these reports start coming in about Theodore Durant by young women who feared they would either not be believed or if they were believed, that their families would take matter into their own hands and somebody would, you know, get the shit kicked out of them and or be dead. A couple women came forward and said that Durant had offered to give them private physical examinations at the church, which they politely declined. And one young woman reported that he had invited her into the library one day and when she arrived, he was buck naked. And she was so shocked and appalled at this situation that she screamed and ran the fuck away. Once this story hits the newsstands, it is effectively the crime of the century. You're going to hear that a lot in sort of historical crime cases. A lot of it is often the crime of the century. It's a massive fucking deal. And it is everywhere to the point that it takes one month to find a jury because everybody has an opinion. They go through 3,600 people to get a jury of 12. The trial lasts three weeks and the prosecution brings forth 50 witnesses. Like, that's just them. And the defense's argument is that Theodore Durant had no motive to kill these women because they had no money, he wasn't due to inherit anything, they hadn't like slandered him, like there was no reason. And it gets to the point where the judge goes, listen, if you're saying this is for a weird sexual urge, then yeah, that's motive enough for me. And so after a three week trial, the jury deliberates for five minutes. That's not even enough time to get the paperwork done. And they find the defendant, William Henry Theodore Durant, guilty as fuck. And he is sentenced to a short drop and a sudden stop. And his lawyers, they mount appeals for like six fucking months until they've exhausted all avenues, all options, until there's nothing left. And then, on January 7th, 1898, Theodore Durant heads to the gallows in San Quentin prison. The warden starts to read the death warrant and Durant stops him, saying he will spare him this unpleasant duty. And then, he is executed hung from the neck until dead. His parents come to claim his body right away because they're worried about body snatchers or that somebody's going to do some fucking dodgy shit with it. You know, which, you know, fair enough. His parents claimed his body right away because they were worried about body snatchers, grave robbers and all that kind of thing and that somebody would do something dodgy with his body, which, you know, after what he did, fair enough, fair enough. And so they decided they were going to get him cremated but nobody would take the body. No one in San Francisco would accept the corpse. Because, you know, 
nobody wanted to be associated with the monster of the belfry or the demon of the belfry depending on which paper you bought he was one or the other luckily a los angeles farm managed to like accept it and so he was cremated on january 13th 1898 and that is the tale of the demon of the belfry if you liked my retelling of this tale feel free to rate and review five stars i'm not saying you have to i'm just saying i'd very much like it if you would and tell me something fun about yourself tell me what your favorite kind of pajamas are who doesn't love pajamas they're the best uh you can follow me on all of the socials if you message me on instagram or you tweet me on twitter i will respond i will message back because i'm I'm a sucker for attention i can't help it that's just who i am and before i go can i just tell everyone to go watch do revenge on netflix it is like a love letter to i don't know what i would call modern classic cinema with chick flicks and things like that romantic comedies sort of defining movies of genres in the 80s 90s and noughties it's mm, i love it so much like i'm i'm going to rewatch it like i usually watch something once and then i'm done but there are some things i will watch several hundred times because that's who i am as a person that being said i'm going to say farewell to y'all adios Au revoir. Au revoir, my friends. Bye-bye.